0: Hello and welcome to the Episodic Audiobook Series. Uh, we are covering Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel, and uh, this is Episode 6. Last week in Episode 5, we covered Chapters 9 and 10, where we are, were brought into Act 2, so of the brand new act, and uh, we're introduced to the twins. Fourteen years have gone by since Act 1. The twins are, I think, yeah, they're 14 because they were born in the first act. So 14 years have gone by. They are early teens. They're getting interested in the world. They have questions about life. Uh, Some of them are getting interested in boys. Lisa particularly likes a Wainwright boy from church. And there is also a new family in town called the Connors who went to church, and they were introduced to the savages. Louise, the other twin, is annoyed that her sister is like uh, getting all gooey with the, the Wainwright boy and not paying attention to her because the twins used to be really tight. But they're both growing up and kind of going their separate ways. Um, and Lisa kind of gets annoyed when Louise was like poking a rat or a dead rodent, um, which disturbed Lilith because uh, she got a little flashback. And the, that's kind of where we were left off kind of told you in the reverse order from chapters 9 and 10, but that's A-OK. Because that's the gist of it. And uh, let's jump into chapter 6 to find out what happens next. Chapter 11. A Real Person Fourteen years of routine. Spaulding had watched his two girls come into this world and grow into the smart and charming teens they were today. He couldn't be prouder and did the absolute best he could for them. Yet, in the back of his mind, he never felt good enough. All these years later, the butcher shop was still a front for Knox's disturbing contract work with the government. Spaulding had thought he'd get used to it. He never had. It was a slow burn. Spaulding knew he should be able to look the other way and live a normal life. But what was normal? Spaulding sure as hell wasn't. He pretended to be. All he wanted was to raise his kids right. Penny agreed. But at Rutherford Manor, they just didn't seem to have any way to effectively raise them as normal. With the girls now teens, they were developing an interest in what their relatives did. They were interested in other kids too. It had crossed Spaulding's mind to leave the manor with his family. Staying would only isolate the girls. But it would be just what Walter had done to Penny as a kid, and that hadn't turned out very well. Thanks, the chipper voice of a young man brought Spalding back to the present. He looked up to see a man in a simple tan button-up shirt watching him as he wrapped up a slab of meat on autopilot. Right, a customer. He was at work. The man had paid for his purchase. It had been a long week. Another day, consistent as any other as it had been for 14 years. Daydreaming was now common. You're welcome, Spalding said, watching the man leave. I need to clear my head. Spalding called out to Billy. In the mood for Fight Club at all? Not tonight, Billy said sternly as he squeezed out his blood-soaked rag into a bucket. Got plans with the lady? No. Knox needs another body, Billy said. His voice was tired, his answers quick. Can't you take the day off? Spaulding asked. You've been going steady with these two jobs. Complications with the last body. Billy squeezed the rag abnormally tight until his knuckles turned white. Jacob isn't going either. You two going to leave me to fend off the rookies myself? Work, Billy said. Work is always here. Your habits will change, Spaulding said. Sorry. If Fight Club can't convince you to take an evening off, eventually your kids will. They'll want to spend time with you, Spaulding said. He didn't want to push it too far with Billy, just poke at him a bit. The man seemed on edge. Yes, I know, but Knox needs assistance, and I need the hunt. I, as you always say, Spaulding said. It's the family curse, Billy said. You know this. My mother initiated it. My father shunned me for it. Now I live with it. That I do, Spalding said. He knew he wasn't getting anywhere. Billy was set in his ways, but those ways seemed to be driving him to the hunt more frequently lately. Maybe it was best to leave the man alone, he thought. Fair enough. I might check it out later. I want to see the girls first. You're a good father, Spaulding. Thanks, Spaulding said sincerely. The bell rang at the front of the butcher shop, catching Spaulding's attention. An older grey haired man walked in. Father Isaac. This would probably be their last customer for the day, considering the time. He returned to the front counter. Good evening, Father Isaac said. Father, Spaulding said with a nod, what can I do for you? I haven't seen you in a lick. Oh, I've been locked up in my study, thinking, Father Isaac said. How's the family life for you, Spaulding? The kids are well? They're wonderful. They are definitely savage children. I'm pleased to hear. You and the Fleshers have gone through so much. I'm glad to see you're able to settle down and enjoy life. Yeah, Spaulding said, except that I'm simply shielding what's really going on he thought. They're enjoying Father Haywood's church? Father Isaac asked. I think so. They're kids. They'd rather be outside playing in the mud or chasing boys. Father Isaac nodded. They are of age. Tell me about it, Spalding said. Penny and I are going to have our hands full. Such is the life of parenthood, Father Isaac said. Something I'm glad I avoided. "'Children are not my cup of tea. "'The church is mostly older folks, thankfully.' "'Father, that's not some attempt at a backhand comment "'about our switching churches, is it?' "'Spalding asked. "'Not at all,' Father Isaac said. "'I understand the need for change. "'Change needs to occur. "'Otherwise, you're a sitting duck. "'Then you might as well shoot yourself.' "'Spalding nodded politely.' That last statement had been unsettling. Alistair and I definitely had a closer relationship than you and I ever had. And I saw how hard Knox took his father's death at the funeral. A clean slate is probably best for everyone. Father Isaac extended his hand. However, if you're ever free for a drink, you know where I am. Spalding leaned back. A drink? You're a man of God. Father Isaac smirked. Times change, don't they? I'm getting a little too invested in my studies. It can wobble one's faith. Are you no longer practicing? Spaulding asked, eyeing the father's priest gown. Oh, I'm still a man of God. I suppose you could say he's been forgiving a few more sins of mine than usual lately. The back door slammed. Spaulding looked over. Billy was gone. The hunter had to feed. Guess there wouldn't be any convincing the man to join in on a few rounds of Fight Club. Spaulding would have to go on his own. Anyway, Father Isaac said, I thought I'd come by to your end of town, get something for dinner. You've come to the right place, Spaulding said. What can I get for you? Let's get some ham, Father Isaac said. Spaulding gathered some slices of ham, neatly wrapping them in a cloth as Father Isaac pulled out some cash. They made the exchange and Father Isaac nodded. Thank you. Anytime, Spaulding said. Good to see you again, Father. I may have to take you up on that drink one time. The doors to the church are always open too. Father Isaac waved goodbye as he left the shop, causing the bell to ring. He walked by the window, crossing the busy street. Folks were finishing for the day. The heads bobbed up and down through the crowd, getting to where they needed to be. A redhead appeared in a hat and a long gray coat. The moment passed. She was gone. That can't be, Spalding thought. He blinked a couple of times to clear his vision. Nothing. Maybe it was a figment of his imagination, but he would have sworn it was Irene, that Irish mobster. It was uncommon to see a girl dressed in such an unconventional manner. The gal had a distinct look. He knew it was her. Maybe it was a daydream. Spaulding wanted to believe it so. He also knew the difference between a mind trick and reality. Even if it was her, it didn't matter. She could piss off. Spaulding was a family man. He had two beautiful girls and a wife to go home to. Fight Club wasn't even gonna lure him in this time, he decided. If Billy or Jacob weren't going, it wouldn't be as entertaining. Perhaps another night. He was whacked from the long day and just wanted to finish cleaning up the shop. Then he could settle down with his family for the evening. That was what he wanted. Chapter 12, Home Life. The horse trotted along, taking Spalling down the familiar road, just as it did every day. The journey had become mundane with little cohesive thinking and lots of mind wandering. The end goal was the same. He wanted to get home and see his family there he could relax and unwind from a hard day of work for little pay. Something had to change at some point, he knew. After over a decade of working at the butcher shop, he thought they would see an improvement by now. But while things had gotten a little better over the years, Rowley was no boom down. Farther up the road, Spalling spotted a dark-haired woman in a green dress. She was walking in the same direction he was. From the frail figure in the style of clothing, He recognized it was Rowan. She was by herself. That was abnormal. The midwives were always together. Spalding's horse trotted up to the lady, catching her attention. She turned around and smiled at him. "'Good evening, Spalding,' Rowan said, stopping. Spalding brought his horse to a halt, causing the animal to snort. "'Evening. Not with your sisters?' "'Sometimes the wicked three split,' Rowan said jokingly. "'Of course.' We're all individuals. There's a spot not far from here I like to call home. Alone time lets us explore ourselves. Indeed, my ride home serves just that purpose as well. How are the girls? Rowan asked. I haven't seen them around. They're either at Rutherford Manor or in town, as per usual. Of course, I suppose I've isolated myself a bit in the forest as of late, Rowan said. Any particular reason? Spalding asked. Even though 14 years had passed, Spalding still thought back to the strange events that occurred the night his twin girls were born. Something about it just wasn't natural, no matter what he told himself. The midwives had never had anything else to say about it, despite his efforts to pry. He committed every strange event to memory. They were savages and fleshers after all. Strange always meant something. I suppose nature has been calling me more frequently. Something about it is peaceful, calming. The animals listen. Speaking of, did Lilith mention anything to you about the dead rodent the twins found? No, Spalding said. Yes, Lilith came to me the other day and mentioned they'd found one. The girls were quite intrigued by it. Anything else? Nothing unusual. Lilith said it was killed by an owl. Well, the girls are old enough to wonder about death and the natural cycle. I suppose I could have a word with them. Their father deals with that for a living, after all. That you do. It might be good to explain something to them. I'm curious. Why would Lilith come to you? It's just a dead animal. Well, she felt a callback and wanted an outside opinion. I think it's simply the girl's natural instinct calling to them. I suppose so. Spalding wasn't sure what Rowan meant by that. To his knowledge, the midwives didn't know about the dark history of his family or the Fleshers. Those midwives, they loved to sidestep direct answers. Natural instincts seemed like an oversimplification of what it could be. Spalding knew he'd better check with Lilith. It's good seeing you. Spalding tipped his hat and engaged the horse once more. Goodbye, Spaulding. Rowan said watching him leave. She didn't walk anymore. She simply watched. Strange, Spaulding thought while continuing on his way. Whatever the significance of the dead animal was, Spaulding would have a talk with his girls. They needed to have a clearer understanding of life and death. There was nothing wrong with that. They were young and learning. Lilith was probably just being superstitious, as she often was. Spaulding brought the horse to the Rutherford Manor stables he stationed the animal back in its pen and unbuckled the saddle. Finally, he was home. He entered the house and took off his hat and coat. The first thing he would have to do is find his girls. The evening was getting on and he wanted to have a word with them before they went to bed. Spalding exchanged greetings with Vivian in the living room and continued into the dining room, kitchen, and eventually to the backyard where he found Penny, Lilith, and the two girls. The twins were helping Lilith repot some plants while Penny was focused on scrubbing laundry. "'Hello, dear,' Spaulding said while walking up to Penny. He leaned in for a kiss. Penny didn't notice him. She was focused on scrubbing out the dirt from the clothes. He gently reached over and touched her shoulder. She jumped slightly. "'Hi,' Penny said. "'Busy day?' Spaulding said, letting go of her shoulder. "'Yeah,' Penny said. "'Of course.' Let me have a word with the girls for a moment, and then we can catch up. Okay, Penny said. She looked back to the scrubbing board. Spaulding walked down the steps toward the greenhouse. Something was on Penny's mind. He knew his wife and her one-word responses were a giveaway. He would find out what she was pondering over, but first things first, he would talk to the girls. Father, Lisa said, dropping her gardening tools. She almost kicked over the pot she'd been filling as she ran to Spaulding. This was what he loved. Seeing his girls excited when he came home, it was unlike anything else. "'Girls,' Spaulding said. He extended his arms. Louise followed behind Lisa as the two of them came in for a hug. He gave them a big squeeze. They laughed as he made growling noises like a bear, tickling them with his stubbled face. "'Helping Great Aunt Lilith, I see.' Spalding said as he let them go. Lilith nodded at Spalding. They are quite the helpers. Yes, father, Lisa said. Louise lifted her dirt-covered hands. It's a lot of fun. Good. I'm glad to hear. Repotting some plants? Yep. Planting some new ones, too, Lisa said. Excellent. Say, uh, great-aunt Lilith found you two poking around with a rodent corpse? Yeah, Louise said. Lilith walked up to the three of them, placing her hands on her hips. I don't think there's anything to be worried about, Spaulding. Just a strange moment of deja vu. How so? Spaulding asked. An owl. There's plenty of them around here. Lilith raised her hand. Please, there's nothing to be concerned about. Spaulding nodded. Lilith was always attuned to the supernatural, if it existed anyway. She had sent some strange vibrations during Alistair's death. He remembered there were owl feathers there too. Deja vu, indeed. Now, girls, Spalding said, bending down. What you saw was normal. We've seen dead things before, Louise said. They're weird. Of course. What made this one so different, Spalding said. It was breathing, Lisa said. Louise kept poking it with a stick until it died. No, Louise said. It was dying already. I just wanted to see how it worked on the inside. How it worked on the inside, Spaulding thought. That's something a Flesher would say. Knox sure felt that way. The twins' bloodline remained true, he realized. Instincts were calling them, as Rowan said. Despite Spaulding and Penny's best efforts, the twins gravitated toward the grotesque. Perhaps one could never change nature It is fascinating, Spalding said. That's the natural cycle of life. Everything goes through its last breath before it dies. Even us, Lisa asked. I don't wanna be lying there with my guts out, being poked by Louise. No, Spalding said, that won't happen to you. You will live a long and prosperous life. We were just curious, Louise said. Yeah, we've never seen an animal dying before, Lisa said. Are you two actually curious about what animals look like when they're dead? Spalding said. The twins nodded. Well, your father and great uncle Billy work at the butcher shop. You know, we can show you how- Spalding! Penny yelled sternly. Spalding stood up as his wife stormed toward them. She stopped a couple feet away from the group and waved her hands at the girls. Go along now, help great aunt Lilith. Penny ushered them away. Spalding stared at his wife. Great. He said something wrong. He'd better figure out what it was. Go now. You have work to do, he told the girls. Come on, Lilith said while walking back to the pots and dirt with the twins. Lilith knew that Penny was about to brew up a storm. Spalding knew it too. He must have said something that pissed her off. He wasn't even sure what. What are you doing? Penny asked, putting her hands on her hips. The girls were curious about how animals work on the inside. Exactly. I won't have it. What do you mean? It's just dead animals. They're going to learn eventually. You know what my uncle does in the basement? What does that have to do with the butcher shop? Flesh, blood, guts. Are you dense? Spalding was taken aback. Penny's hostility had come so suddenly. Now he understood the connection she was trying to make. But it seemed far-fetched to him. Dear, they're going to learn about this someday. What Billy and Knox do? We agreed to keep them away from it. That's not what I meant. I I meant life. Things dying, seeing animals. They just want to know how it all works. They've never really seen the back of the butcher shop in action. No! Penny yelled. Their mother's scream caught the attention of the girls. They frowned. Lilith tried to recapture their focus by asking them to join her in the greenhouse. This was a grand example of good parenting. It was frustrating. Spaulding didn't want his wife causing such a scene in front of the girls. This was the kind of topic that needed to be discussed when the children weren't around. But for some reason, Penny just had to discuss it right now. Spaulding sighed. Fine, he said calmly. He didn't want to argue with her anymore or have the girls see this side of their parents. Look, how about we set a dinner date with the Connors? Get the girls to relate with more kids their age. That is healthy learning. Penny folded her arms. That could do them some good. Exactly. They spend a lot of time with their aunts and uncles, which I agree isn't the best. We haven't had much choice with the homeschooling. I know. It's just growing pains. Penny rubbed her forehead. They're growing so fast. I noticed Lisa's befriending that Wainwright boy. That's wonderful news, Spalding said. I saw Louise talking to Susie at church. Good, that should keep them occupied. How about we have the Connors over for dinner then? Spaulding asked. No, Penny said. That's too close to Uncle Knox. There, let's have dinner at the Connors? They mentioned it. Penny nodded. Okay. Great. Penny and Spaulding stood in silence for a moment. Then she spoke up. Billy has been coming home late for the past while. An ox rarely comes out of his basement. That's normal. It's been happening more lately, Penny said. What are they doing? It's that government contract, you know. I know, but it's gotten more intense somehow. The girls wonder why they never see them. They're asking questions. Spalding nodded. He recalled how strangely Billy was acting. Tired. Stressed. That's a good question, Spalding said. I'll find out. I know the contract has been ongoing. Apparently, the government is more interested in results than deadlines. Knox has free reign to do what he wants. That's what has me concerned, Penny said. Knox assured us that if anything came this way, their contact, Mr. Sewell, would take care of it. It's in the bag. That's not what I meant. It's the girls. Right. Let me have a talk with Knox tonight. I'll see what he says. That would be nice. Penny looked away. Spaulding extended his arms, walking in for a makeup hug. Penny didn't move. Her arms remained folded. Spaulding stepped forward, wrapping his arms around her, making the hug work. He hoped that a sign of his affection would help. The heated argument had been pointless, and he wanted to get the evening back on track. The twins will be with the midwives throughout the day tomorrow, Penny said. She hadn't responded to the hug. Spaulding freed her. She didn't care for intimacy when she was worked up. Spaulding knew he had to wait for her to wind down. He always did. That sounds fair, Spaulding said, putting his hands in his pockets. Funny, I uh, ran into Rowan and she mentioned she hadn't seen them in a while. Lilith can't take care of them? Well, I have errands to take care of in town tomorrow, and the girls enjoy the town. Good call. Let me know what Knox says, Penny said. She returned to the scrubbing board and pile of laundry. That was that. The conversation was over. Spalding would have to have a talk with Penny later and see what was really on her mind. He could calm her down, kiss her, maybe swing it into an evening under the sheets. It had been a while. Perhaps this was just the normal evolution of parenting. The sparks slowly fizzling out. He felt a sudden pang of loss as he thought of his former business partner the wise words of old Alistair would have been able to guide him. And that is the end of episode 6 with chapters 11 and 12. Man, things are getting heated at Rutherford Manor. Those savages, uh, you know, aren't, uh, aren't in a good spot with their family life. Looks like, uh... They're going to have to start making some adjustments because those twins are growing up and uh, yeah, Uncle Knox is doing some messed up stuff with Uncle Billy and they don't want that. Guess we'll have to find out how that talk goes between Spaulding and Knox next week in episode seven. So definitely uh, tune in for that. And if you do want to jump ahead, feel free to grab the book. It's on Amazon in ebook and print and I'll see you next week. Tchau.